Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, do you have to have a degree in theology, philosophy, or apologetics in order to speak powerfully and accurately about how the church is being influenced by the culture? If you think so, if you think that all of this should be left to the professionals, to some kind of expert class or, or clergy, then you haven't been reading your Bible enough. You've left that to the expert class or, or clergy, which is exactly the problem we're seeing in the church today. You know, I know it's going to sound odd, but we're all supposed to be priests. We're all supposed to be ambassadors of Jesus. Peter, who wrote to Christians living in an unbelieving society, wrote, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into a wonderful light. That's 1 Peter 2.9. Also, Paul says to his student Timothy, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a worker who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. He said that in 2 Timothy 2.15. And as you know, Paul writes to the Corinthians, we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we're not supposed to leave the the ambassadorship of Christianity to the experts, we're all supposed to be experts. We're all supposed to be priests. We're all supposed to be studied to show ourselves approved. You don't have to have a formal degree to get involved. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, think about this. The first universities, which were started by Christians, weren't formed for more than a thousand years after the church was established. People were discipled by others and became ambassadors by being diligent to learn the scriptures. And a man who has learned the scriptures, who is out there on the front lines and is engaging the culture and reeling the church back into where it should be is John Cooper. He's the founder and lead singer of the Christian rock band Skillet. Some of you may know who Skillet is, some of you may not, but you're going to learn from John today. But more importantly, he's an ambassador for Christ. He's a husband and he's a father, and it's great having John on the podcast right now. John, how are you? Man, I'll tell you what, Frank, you are preaching my language. <laughs> you're preaching my language. And what you just shared is exactly my testimony. And I know that you don't actually know that because we've never spoken. Um, right. So I'll, I'll let you ask me questions, but man, now I'm pumped up. Now I'm ready to do our, our job. Let's do our talk, man. Let's go to war, baby. Come on, <laughs> I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what, baby. <laughs> that's, I love it, that, yeah. That's a little inside joke, but uh, we'll, we'll explain that here in a minute. John, I want to start because a lot of people don't know who you are. And my, my kids have known who you are forever. You know, I'm 60 now. So your, your band was a little after my, I mean, I love rock, but it was after my rock phase. You know, I grew up on the Who, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones. And my sons were always like, skillet, skillet, skillet. I mean, they, they've been saying that for years. I got three sons. And so I, I want people to know who you are. First of all, when did you become a Christian? How did it happen? 
Well, sounds like you have three godly kids there. That's they right. know good music when they hear it. That's right. um, yeah, yeah. I became a Christian as a kid. My mom was a Jesus fanatic, um, and, and I mean it in all of the right ways. My mom was fanatical about the Bible. Um, she taught me the Word of God. She prayed with me. She made me memorize Scripture. Everything that happened, my mom would say, no, that's not right, because Proverbs says, you know, it's always like that. And, and, and of course, it had its annoying moments and stuff. But because of that, I always believed in God. I knew God was real. And not only that, I saw my mom put the word of God to the test, you know. So she would say, well, the proverb says either you do A, and, you, and it leads you to righteousness, or you do B, and it leads you to destruction. And I've seen those things work. And so I, I believed in the word of God. Gave my life to Jesus when I was five years old. Thank, I just thank the Lord that I, I, I don't have any uh, backsliding, crazy mm-hmm. backsliding testimony. I know a lot of people do when they give their life to Jesus as a five-year-old. Then they backslide, and then they maybe they truly get born again when they're in college or, or, or whatever their story is. They say, I never really understood it. I mean, I got to say, I understood it enough. I understood that God was my boss. Whatever God says was right. Whatever he said, I I had to do it. Trust and obey. It was very clear to me as a kid. And I am so thankful to the Lord that I didn't have that that major backsliding time. So uh, that's how I became a Christian. And and I I wouldn't just mind saying one more thing because of what you just just preached that I love. That's what got me on fire for Jesus when I went to college. You know, I was reading my Bible and I suddenly realized, you know, there's this patches of scripture in Ephesians 4. Um, where God says he gives, he gave gifts to men, apostles, prophets, uh, pastors, teachers, evangelists. He gave these gifts to men so for the equipping of the saints. Right. And I remember, I remember reading that going, but wait a minute, wait a minute. That means, I think actually the scripture says for the equipping of the saints for works of ministry. So I remember thinking, so I'm supposed to do works of ministry, even though I'm not a preacher. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do works of ministry yep. even though I'm not in theology school and yep. I don't live the best life in the whole world. And and if I was if I was a preacher, there's some things I change about my speech and the things that I watch on TV. There's all these things I do, but I'm not one of those. I'm just a normie. And I all of a sudden realized there's no such thing as there's no such thing as a a lay person in that sense. We are That's all right. called to be ambassadors for Christ. We are all mm-hmm. called to purity. We are all called to be representatives of Christ in the earth. What a privilege. That was the life-changing moment for me. And that, that's one of the things I'm most passionate about. So I'm glad you started with that. Yeah, in fact, you know, there's a, there's a debate between the Protestants and the Catholics over that. The Catholics say we got all these priests and the Protestants are saying, no, 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 we don't have priests. We just have lay people. Forget it. You know, they're both wrong. The truth of the matter is you don't get rid of the laity. You get, let me say it another way. You don't get rid of the uh, priest. You get rid of the laity. There are no laity. Everybody's (laughs) supposed to be a priest, according to Peter. Everybody's supposed to be an ambassador, according to Paul. We're doing that, and you're doing that. Now, before we get into what's going on, and the reason we're having John on is because John is having an impact with a generation that many people don't have the credibility to speak into. And so you're going to see what he's doing. We'll get a little bit further in the program, but I just want you guys to know who John is before we get there. So, John, your musical influences growing up, who were they and how did you start Skillet? Well, you know, going back to my mom, my mom was a piano teacher and a voice teacher. My mom loved opera. She loved church music. She loved classical music, but nothing with drums. 
Nothing with guitars. <laughs> okay. I, I couldn't. I mean, I'm telling you. She thought uh, when the first time I heard Michael Jackson, I came home and I sang. I was like, Mom, I heard this new song, and I started. It goes like this: Beat it, beat mm-hmm. it. You know, mm-hmm. no one wants to be. I love Michael Jackson, and my mom gave me the holiest booty whipping God ever created. I mean, wow. my mom tore me up for singing the devil's music. So, all that to say, I grew up with classical music. I play piano. I also play the trombone. Not a lot of people know that I played the trombone for about 13 years. So I. Well, you, all I know you don't go around stuff. blowing your horn. So. No, thank, <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, God ended that. <laughs> God ended that time of my life. But I did get into <clears throat> hard rock music when I was in fifth and sixth grade. All my friends were listening to Bon Jovi and Metallica, Motley Crue. It was the 80s, and all these great metal bands: hair metal, glam metal, rock, hard rock. And it was when I was in sixth grade is when I discovered Christian rock music. And mm. Christian rock music was the only thing that my mom thought was worse than rock music. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it was it was wolves in sheep's clothing. You know, they were mm-hmm. pretending to love Jesus, but they really just wanted to lead Christian kids astray. But I eventually convinced my mom to let me listen to a few select Christian artists like Petra. I right. love Petra, DeGarmo and Key, um, Amy Grant, Striper, and and my mom didn't like it, but she finally allowed it. Um, just to end my little testimony, my mom died when I was 15 from cancer. Oh, no. So at, at that time, I, I kind of could begin to listen to whatever I wanted to because my mom wasn't around, but I still didn't listen to secular music. I still listened to Christian music like Petra and all these uh-huh. great bands, and that's what I cut my teeth on. All right, we're talking to John Cooper, founder, lead singer of the rock band Skillet, who is also engaged in the culture you'll see right after the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk, on the American Family Radio Network website, crossexamined.org. Crossexamined with a D on the end of it. We're back in two. All right, let's put all this into a skillet, see how it turns out. That's my guest today, John Cooper, lead singer, founder of the Christian rock band Skillet, which, by the way, is a crossover band, also has a lot of followers who are not Christians. In fact, John, I heard you saying this on your podcast the other day that you said something like Skillet, was it in 2019, had 2 billion streams? Was it something like that? Or was was it in one year? I can't remember. Yeah, just last year alone, we had two billion streams. Uh, with, you know, all, of course, that's all of our songs combined. Right. Two billion streams, and in 2019, Billboard released their end of decade stats, and uh-huh. um, at the end of decade stats, Skillet had the uh, number 40th biggest uh, selling hard. Uh, it wasn't hard rock; it was rock. Number 40th biggest selling rock album uh, of the decade, which I I couldn't believe, and we were actually only one of. I think for what I would call hard rock bands, the other bands weren't weren't hard rock. They were more like Fall Out Boy, what I would call kind of pop rock. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, so the only hard rock bands was Nickelback, Linkin Park, Foo Fighters, and Skillet, which is pretty cool. And you beat out the Foo Fighters for a number of downloads. Yeah, the- yeah, that's right. It was pretty yeah. cool. <laughs> that's great. And uh, so you started the band in what year? And what? What took it off in popularity? What was the break that made it made it go? Well, we started the band in 1996, um, and uh, I just wanted to play music 
to share my faith. I mean, I, I loved music, and, and, I, and I don't mean that I didn't enjoy the art. I love the mm-hmm. art. But art to me has always been about expressing something to the creator that, that glorifies him, you know, because we, we are made in his image. And so we have the ability to create. Our God is a creating God. This is an amazing gift that God gives sure. to human beings, right? Mm-hmm. So I want to create something that glorifies God, but I also want it to hopefully be used as a tool for evangelism. I want people to hear the songs. And, and you know, when you listen to music, the words get inside of you. And that's something I think that the secular world has always understood more than the Christian world, funny enough. The oh, secular yeah. world sings these songs about sex and, and, and drugs or violence or anger. And we all just listen to it. And eventually all that stuff, all that negativity, all that uh, evil is, is sinking into us, whether we know it or not. Garbage in, garbage out, right? Well, with Christian music, I thought maybe it could be the same thing. Maybe somebody that does not know God, does not want to go to church, hates God, Maybe they listen to my music, and little by little by little, the Word of God is seeping inside. Mm. And as we all know, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So maybe the Holy Spirit, through our music, could begin to do a work in someone as they're listening over and over. So that's why Skillet uh, started. I can't remember if that's what you asked me. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what I did ask you, and that's a good insight, That because music— it, when it's you listen to it over and over again, you can remember the lyrics without even trying, right? And you have that song yeah. for a while, you know, you have that song, Monster. If you're listening right. to enough of the evil stuff, pretty soon you do feel like a monster, don't you? And, uh, oh, and yeah. we do anyway, because we're struggling with sin. We're fallen creatures. So Yes, absolutely. That's what that song was about. Mm. You know, it, it was that it was like I had small kids when I wrote it. And I oh, was, perfect. I got to be honest, I was struggling. Yeah, because yeah. having kids is really hard. Uh-huh. You're exhausted. You end up yelling at people when it's not even your personality to yell at people. Mm-hmm. And you're always on the edge. And then you, maybe you take your bad day out on your kids and you, you, you know you don't want to be that person. And, and so that's what the song Monster was like. Man, there's stuff in me that I right. need the Holy Spirit to change, you know. That's right. Now, how did you meet Corey and how old are your kids now? My kids are 19 and 16. Mm-hmm. Uh, my daughter is the, the, the oldest one. I met Corey <clears throat> um, is, because— that's, a, that's your wife. Yeah. That's yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. My yeah, wife yeah. is Corey. Yeah. So she's from Wisconsin. I'm from Memphis. Short version is that we, we were kind of a sister church, I guess you would say. And my pastor and his family knew Corey. And they kept saying, oh, this, this girl Corey is going to come down and visit the church— I want you to meet her because she plays music. She has her own band. You have your own band, and you guys, uh, you guys, you know, m- might be friends. But they never in a million years ever mm. thought we would like each other. They mm-hmm. just kind of thought it was interesting, and because Corey's very introvert, introverted, intelligent, deep, theological. She went to Bible seminary, and I was just a madman. I was just a crazy, loud, obnoxious, not a deep thinker. Uh, just uh, you know. I, I speak first and think later, but we ended up, you know, really connecting uh, because of the passion for Jesus. We both had the same vision to use music to share about the, the greatness of God, and and that's why we connected, and the, the rest is history. We just celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary two weeks ago, oh, so uh, a quarter of a century. I'm feeling good. That's great. Now, she's a part of the band. She's on tour with you all the time. How did the band take off? Like, what was the break that, that made it so popular? Ah, uh, 
It took us ages. Uh, you know, I, I think we were a band for 10 years um, before people really knew who we were. Our first record came out in 1996. <clears throat> 2006, we released an album called Comatose. It still did not have mainstream radio uh, um, uh, appeal. We were signed to Atlantic Records, so we were signed to a, a major secular album a label at that point, but we still couldn't get played at radio. But there was this underground swell, word of mouth. We were getting really big on, at the time it was MySpace. I don't know if people listening remember MySpace, but yeah, right. <laughs> MySpace was kind of a, a pre-Facebook. And people on MySpace would always play their favorite bands. And there was always something really cool about um, a teenager saying, this is my favorite band. And if that band is a band that's never been heard of, it, it kind of gave you some cred points. You know, you, you were cool because you were underground. Right. And all of a sudden, Skillet became a very popular underground band that all these <clears throat> fringe kids and Kids that always felt, <clears throat> on, you know, not in the mainstream or misunderstood, they all liked Skillet. And so Skillet began growing and growing. And then it was in 2009, when, when, or 2010 maybe, uh, when we released Monster. And Monster got picked up by WWE Wrestling. Mm-hmm. And, and then it got picked up by the SEC Football uh, League. And, and, and all of a sudden, the song became a, a hit, and our lives changed almost overnight. So I usually tell people, it took us 13 years to become an overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what's the hardest thing, then, about getting that kind of success? How do you put, how do you put uh, boundaries around yourself to make sure it doesn't go to your head? How do you maintain the proper relationships, the proper Christ-like attitude, when it could be easy in a celebrity world to treat people however you want to treat them because nobody's ever going to say no to you. What do you do in that regard? Right. How, do you, how, do you, how do you protect yourself there? And well, others. that's a fantastic question, and you're really right. I mean, uh, you know, I will say this. There's, some, there's a practical thing. When it takes you 13 years of driving mm-hmm. your own bus, fixing a trailer tire for, for 13 years straight. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we weren't driving a bus for the first five years. We were driving a van and setting up your own merchandise and having people tell you you're never going to be good enough. We appreciate your heart for Jesus, but you're not that talented. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of does something to you that, 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 in other words, when the success comes, you're just so, you're so thankful for it, you know. But in reality, I think it is with all things, and I know this sounds like a Sunday school answer, but it's the God's honest truth. Great Bible theology protects you from all of this, because the truth is, I've met a lot of very unsuccessful bands who are driving their own vans and changing their own trailer tires, who are some of the most arrogant musicians that I've ever known. Mm. They don't have any success, but they, they, but they think that they deserve it. So in other words, it's not always the success that that reveals what's behind it. Sometimes it's already there. Likewise, I've met some really successful artists, more successful than me, who are very, very humble. You know, Michael W. Smith, there's somebody. Michael W. Smith is a really successful guy. But when you meet Michael, this is a really humble guy. This is a guy that knows that everything he has has been given from God. So I always tell people the truth is this. If If you are arrogant, when God gives you a little bit, you were going to be arrogant when God gives you a lot, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I hope that that's helpful for people. For us, we just always knew that it wasn't about it wasn't about being the most talented. It wasn't about writing the best song in the world. It was all about God's providence. 
all we're doing is writing what he's given us. And if God decides that he wants to give us a little extra in the storehouse mm-hmm. or a lot extra in the storehouse, mm-hmm. that's all that's all within his goodness. And I don't need the I don't need the the slow clap from the world to feel good about my art. My art is to glorify God. You might like it, you might not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, we're going to get into that. I do got to ask you this, though, John. I know you're ministering to believers and non-believers out there, especially those who like rock, who like the heavier side, the metal. But how do you respond to critics who say, hey, John, you're torn with non-Christian groups. Does that ever pre- present a moral dilemma for you in any way? If the, if the other band is promoting stuff that you don't agree with that isn't biblical, how do you get past that? Is that a problem? What would your mom say, in other words? What would your mom say? <laughs> <laughs> My mom would have been upset so long ago that it, 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 we're like we're way past that, you know. Okay. You know, uh, yeah. When I got my ear pierced, my mom would have lost just uh-huh. lost it. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, yeah. I mean, for me personally, it's never been a moral dilemma. Mm-hmm. I do understand that a lot of people feel that way, and um, I will. I've got to be totally honest. It's never even made me upset that they feel that way, probably because I grew up in a household that was a little bit like that. I know where they're coming from. For me, it hasn't been a moral dilemma. I believe in this idea of, well, all everybody listening that believes in the Bible believes in this idea of being salt in the earth, of, of being light, light of the world. I, I believe in that. And I think if we don't go to where the darkness is, then we're not going to, we're not really going to do that. Now there have been some things that I have declined. In other words, there are some there are some boundaries that I say, hey, I I can't do that. Mm-hmm. But if it, if I am being asked to go and be an opening act for their audience, then 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 I, I'm really happy to do that. I mean, uh, because that's their audience. I get a chance to come in and be the light and the salt of the earth. And I I just really love that opportunity. But there have been some things, just so you know, that we have turned down when I've thought that's that's too far over the line and I just Mm. can't be a part of that. So I have my boundaries. I won't say any any of the band names because I don't want to offend anybody. And and I don't, it's not that I'm judging them, but I I go, yeah, that's that's too much. But if it's something where they ask me to come and, and share my music, now, listen, if they had said, John, we want you to come share your music, but you have to change your lyrics. You cannot say the word Jesus. Well, that would not be okay with me. And then mm. that, would be a, that would be a line that I'm not willing to cross because I feel that now you're, you're, you're stamping down on, on the word of God in my music. And that would not be something that I'd be comfortable with. Yeah, I look at it this way. If somebody invites me to their church or their organization, they're agreeing with me. I don't have to agree with them, right? Mm. They are the host, and if they're going to allow me to come in and and uncensored say what I want to say, then I'm going to take that opportunity because I want to reach their audience, just like you said. But if they're going to put limits on me, then I might say no. We're talking to John Cooper. He is the lead singer. He is the founder of the Christian rock group Skillet, and he's also a cultural commentator, which is what we're going to get into right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. We're back in two minutes, don't go anywhere. I want to mention I will be at the National Christian Conference on Apologetics in April, April 8 and 9, and so will my friend and guest, John Cooper. 
He's going to be there as well, along with Jay Warner Wallace, Hugh Ross, Elisa Childers, Jorge Gill, several others. You're going to want to be there. Go to ses.edu. That's ses.edu, Southern Evangelical Seminary. ses.edu for more. You're going to want to be there just south of Charlotte, North Carolina, Rock Hill, not far from where I'm sitting right now, and my friend John Cooper's coming all the way from where you Norfolk, Virginia, somewhere. You're, you're on the you're on the road, aren't you? <laughs> I'm on the road right now, but I'll be coming from Wisconsin eventually. All right, so John is on the road, and his website JohnLCooper.com. John L and Cooper. dot com, all one word. JohnLCooper.com. Check him out. There's got a book there. We're going to get to it in a little bit, and uh, you can see what John is up to. In fact, John. Uh, you started recently, I don't know how, far, how long ago it was, a couple years ago, you started a podcast called Cooper Stuff, and that's how I really became to know, to know what you were doing. I mean, my sons have always loved Skillet, but I didn't know you were really involved in engaging the culture with proper theology. Why did you decide to start this Cooper, Cooper Stuff podcast? What, 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 what was the impetus for <laughs> Sure. You know, I could answer that this in a lot of different ways, but I think the way I'll, I'll go with is the simple version is this. Um, I didn't want to start a podcast. I didn't feel qualified to start a podcast. I kept saying, how come other people aren't starting a podcast? Where's the person that's going to do this? Because what you see in the secular world is you have, you have your um, – politicians, you have your headpieces for all the various things, you have your uh, college professors, you have your Hollywood people, and it, it trails all the way down, what I think in like hard leftism, all the way down to where all of a sudden there's a presidential election in 2016, and Katy Perry literally is going around knocking on college campus dorm rooms, handing out Hillary Clinton, you know, leaflets and mm -hmm. stuff. In other words, on the hard left, what you see is from the top all the way down, you have these boots on the ground folks that maybe aren't philosophers, they're not the smartest people in the world, but they have a, um, a celebrity platform and they will use it to say something they feel passionate about. On the, in, the, in the Christian music world, the Christian quote celebrity world, we don't have a lot of that. And I kept saying, why? Why don't we have some really smart people doing that? Where's the, where's the guy, Lord? Where's the guy that's going to do it? It's and I you. just had this yeah, mm -hmm. little voice come in my head mm -hmm. saying, John, maybe you're the guy. And I kept saying, no, Lord, I'm not because I'm not smart. Um, John, maybe you're the guy. And I just got to a place where I just couldn't stand it anymore because the platforms that were popping up, even within Christian music, to be frank, and I won't mention any names, <clears throat> um, a lot of the platforms that were popping up commenting on culture, I felt were really confusing the gospel. I just felt that you guys are making the gospel too confusing. And even as somebody that knows the gospel, you're saying stuff that I've never heard before. And I don't think it needs to be that complicated. So let's break it all down. What's happening in culture? And what does the Bible have to say about it? By the way, if you're hearing music in the background, that's because John is on location. <laughs> He's coming. Yeah, from. I just heard that. I thought, oh gosh, I hope that doesn't continue for the next uh, hour and a half. Yeah, that's, that's that's all right. So you decided to do it. It's Cooper stuff. Check out the podcast. And lately, you've been dealing with this topic called deconstruction. And in fact, you helped defend our friend Lisa Childers, our mutual friend, because she was defining what deconstruction was. And there were some people who were not taking her very seriously. What do you think is the most accurate description of the kind of deconstruction that is really popular now, John? 
Man, this is such a long conversation. The short version is this. There are many different interpretations and definition of what this word means. What I find really concerning is that where the word comes from, and I hate to be like some kind of purist or something, but it mm-hmm. comes from this very um, postmodern viewpoint. And I'm not, a, I'm not a, any expert on postmodernism, but I did write a book um, called Awaken Alive to Truth. The subtitle is... Um, finding truth in the chaos of a relativistic world. The reason I wrote that book was because, to me, postmodernism is at the heart of all of our of our issues in society right now. This is the heart of all the things you're seeing being torn down in the Western world, within Christianity in general, within theology in general, um, within uh, 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 gender and sex, um, you, know, uh, you know, with radical gender theory mm-hmm. and all these, all these privilege theory, all this stuff is kind of coming from this postmodern worldview. So I'm not an expert, but I know it when I see it. And what postmodernism teaches is basically that there is no absolute truth. Well, deconstruction, where it comes from, is basically this. There's a way to hear words or to read words that is postmodern. I can never know what Frank Turek means when he comes on a podcast and he says, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I can't know for sure what he means. There's no absolute meaning. The only meaning is how I interpret it. Well, I think that what he means is this or this, and I need to be aware that Frank might be saying those words out of a desire to rule over me, uh, mm. almost like in a, in a power um power and privilege. He may be saying these things from a hierarchical power structure, and maybe he's trying to keep me down. He says it's the truth, but what he really means is, John Cooper, you stay in your place. All of this is is what they mean when you talk about uh, deconstructionism, all right? Literary deconstructionism. You can go back and read the Bible, and you don't really know what it means. This is why I'm so concerned. What we see happening in Christianity is we are deconstructing every little piece of it into where all that it means is, hey, as long as we agree that in general, God is real and God loves folks, that's all that matters. And nothing else in the Bible can be known for sure. That's what I see happening with my eyes. Some people reject it and they say, no, all it is is people are deconstructing from harmful cultural things like hyper-Americanism or Christian Mm -hmm. nationalism or white theology or patriarchal um, complementarianism and this and that and the other. I don't actually – I think a lot of that, to be honest, I think is a Trojan horse. I think they're saying that, but I think what is truly happening is basically just – people that want us to look at the Bible with skepticism. And you have to also have to remember that skepticism is a, a core definer of postmodernism. So yeah. you want to look at the Bible with skepticism. How can we really know that that's real? And what I see is I know a hundred people that have fallen away from the faith who began their journey by saying, I'm just deconstructing from white American evangelical ideas. And now they've completely left the faith. Yeah, and for those of you who have listened to this program, we've talked a little bit about postmodernism. It's obviously self-defeating, right? Somebody says there's no absolute truth is making an absolute truth claim. And it isn't it interesting, John, these very people who say you can't know what the Bible really says, they expect us to know exactly what they mean when they say something, right? They don't want us to deconstruct what they say. They only can deconstruct what the Bible says, which of course is 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 hypocritical and it is self-defeating because <laughs> to 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 say you don't know what the Bible means, but we should know what uh, 
what David French means or what Phil Vischer means or anybody else who's now creeping over to the left side, yet they claim they're Christians. And look, I don't know. I assume that both Phil Vischer, that's a person that you've talked about on your podcast recently. I assume David French, they're both Christians. They're both brothers in the Lord. But they do appear to be drifting left in terms of at least some of their political views. And if I don't know, if are they, are they directly advocating deconstructionism? Do you know? Uh, no, no, I do okay. not think that they are. I, I really, I think interpreting it in its best light. One of the things I see happening, possibly with with you know the Phil Vischer thing. Uh-huh. I think interpreting it in its best light. I think it's this. I think that Christians in general feel that that we have not done a great job of sh- of being nice to the world, of showing kindness mm-hmm. and being mm-hmm. loving. We seem judgmental. We mm-hmm. we yell at people. We have all these sins. No, we, we say don't. we love it. We we say we Take say that we back, love Cooper. <laughs> you know we say we love America and America is this really great past mm-hmm. but 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 look at all the sins in our past and because yeah. of that a lot of people just don't want to sound mean or judgmental and so when they hear me say something hard about deconstruction they get they go the other route they swing the pendulum to such a degree that they never want to bring they never want to bring a sword. You know, they never want to bring yeah. a judgment and say, this is wrong, this is righteousness, this is wickedness. It's black and white. They don't want to do that. So they become fudgy with right. everything. And and then we then comes in all of the all of the word language games that we so often see played in leftism. And so that's I think looking at it as best light, I don't think they're advocating for it. I just think that they don't like that we're saying such mean things against it. But I will say this. And this is what the leftward drift does, and I think you'll agree with me. What I will say is this. Even if these people don't end up advocating for it, they already are so sympathetic to it that they do not want to have division between us and them. So in other words, if somebody is deconstructed and said, look, I don't actually believe in the literal resurrection of Christ. I don't think that's necessarily literally real, but I'm still a Christian. I think what you get with a lot of these people that have drifted left, they would say, "Okay, I don't agree with that, but I don't want to. I don't want to divide over an issue like that. We're still mm. brothers in Christ." Whereas I think me and you, Frank, would be like, "No, that puts you outside of the faith, and we're not loving people by not being honest about that." That's right. Well, that's what Paul said. If Christ hasn't risen from the dead, your face in vain. They're giving that's up it. the core of Christianity if they're doing that, John. Uh, as you know, and if they give up the atonement, the whole gig is up. That's what Christianity is all about, right? That Christ pays for our sins and trusting in him, we're not only forgiven, we're given his righteousness. So yeah, it. and I've noticed, because you've spoken about this in your previous two podcasts, that it seems like they're always saying, yeah, it's a problem, but it's not quite as bad as this other problem. Like, yeah, abortion is not good. We're not for it. But have you ever thought about the poor? Have you ever thought about you know, war. Have you ever thought, why aren't you Christians talking about those things, right? And they wind up never talking about the pro-life issue with, by the way, the right to life is the right to all other rights. If you don't have life, you don't have anything. There couldn't be a bigger issue, I think, in anyone's mind than protecting innocent people, but they seem to, they seem to not think it's all that serious, John, it seems to me. Yeah, you know, I think the biggest thing splitting the church apart right now is this issue of, uh, it's not politics. It's really not. It's an issue of theology. Mm-hmm. What do we think the government is supposed to do? Right. What do we think the government is not supposed to do? And it outworks itself into politics. And what really annoys me, 
I don't mind them voting for somebody different than I vote for. I, I would give them grace for that. I would say, hey, mm-hmm. I think you're wrong, and I'd like mm-hmm. to have a biblical discussion about why that is. But what they end up doing, a lot of the, a lot of the movement, and they do it because it's culturally acceptable, right? They, mm. they're, they're 100% in line with popular culture. Right. And they do it instead of just saying, hey, abortion is really evil, but there's other things that we also think are evil and we're weighing them. What they end up doing is they minimize how evil uh, one thing is, and they, they, I'm sorry, they maximize how evil the one thing is, and they minimize the evil of another in order to get to a political end. And I don't dig that. What can we do to fix this? We're going to talk to John Cooper right after the break. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turk. The American Family Radio Network, johnlcooper.com. Check it out. Back in two. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. You're not going to hear this on NPR. I can tell you that. We're talking to John Cooper, politically incorrect. He's he's correct, not politically correct. And that's what we want on this program. He is the founder and lead singer of the Christian rock band Skillet. He's coming from he's coming from the road to talk to us right now. Uh, John, you do have a new album coming up, uh, coming out. When is that? Or is it out already? Yeah, it just came out in January. It is called Dominion, and uh, I'm telling you, it is a record for now. You know, sometimes when you write a record, uh-huh. you, 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 there are songs that they're always going to—you could have written it 10 years ago, and it could still be pertinent to now. Sometimes you write an album when you just feel like, man, this is speaking to the issue at hand. And I think that, that because of everything I've been through with my podcasts and Cooper stuff and the culture, we made this record that, that when you hear it, you go, man, this record is speaking to now. Cancel culture, standing in the storm against the culture, being willing to stand up for Christ in a culture that is going to cancel you, pull you off of social media, tell you you're a mean, bad person. All of these things are really involved in, in the record. So people, uh, go check it out. It's called Dominion. Dominion. Check it out. And uh, if you just Google the word skillet, you'll find John, his band. You'll find his entire history in terms of music. And if you listen to podcasts, hope you do. This podcast is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. So if you're listening on radio and you want to hear this again, go there. Uh, you should hear John's podcast, too. It's called Cooper Stuff. Just search for wherever you get podcasts, Cooper Stuff. And John, you've been talking a lot about deconstructionism. You've been talking a lot about some of these Christian celebrities. In fact, here's a question for you. What is the danger of following Christian celebrities who are only nominal Christians at best? Those, I mean, there are some Christian celebrities like yourself. You, you're deep into theology and, and, and uh, philosophy, apologetics, this kind of thing. But some are just nominal, nominal Christians. What, what, what do we do when we see those Christian celebrities out there and so many people following them and, and obeying every word they mm-hmm. say? Well, I mean, we're at a real scary place, you know, and I've been very vocal about Christian celebrities, Christian musicians. I've been very vocal about this, and I've been pretty hard on my community, which I I feel good about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Being yeah. hard on folks, I guess, is my thing. But what I will say is this. Christian music, it, it's no different than Christianity in general, I mean, which is why I'm doing the series I just did, which is called The Leftward Drift of Christian Elites. And I'm bringing it hard against people that are writing these think pieces on the Gospel Coalition and the Mm -hmm. the Christian podcasters and the Christian scholars that are the Christian scholars that always want so much nuance that they never tell us what the Bible says about a thing. 
The yeah, Bible's not supposed to be that confusing. So what you have in Christian celebrities is really the same thing you have in Christianity in general. So no, you should not be hanging on every word that a Christian rock singer or worship singer or blogger on the Gospel Coalition or whoever. You shouldn't be living your life, and this includes John Cooper and includes Frank Turek, mm-hmm. uh, living every second of your life going, I live, by, I live by the word of John Cooper alone. No, you should not be living by my words. Live by the words of God, right? Jesus mm-hmm. Christ has the words of life. We're doing the best we can to, to kind of say, this is what I think the Bible means. This is how you can live righteously in this, this time. What you have in Christian music, though, is, is people that are less given to Bible theology. You know, they're artists. They're people that, that are emotional because a lot of times artists are, I mean, God made us to be emotional. And I think that that's a real, that can be a great thing for art. They're more driven by emotions than they are intellect. And that's not a slam on them. That's a gift from God, I believe. But because of that, you can write what you feel and it doesn't always line up with scripture. And then the other part is that a lot of the times, a lot of Christian musicians are on the road they don't have a church. They don't even know what scripture says to start with. And so mm. they're always looking for what sounds right and what feels right. And so that's that's a real dangerous place to be. And no one ever tells them no. You know, nobody ever says, actually, no, you can't, you shouldn't do that. That's that's actually not good. You you get used to hearing the praise of people and, and that's not always healthy. So if people are listening, if you want to, maybe somebody listening wants, is a Christian musician, or maybe you want to be in a worship band, or maybe you want to write worship songs, I just encourage you, get into a church. Do not ever be disconnected from a local body, like a, a local church, and have people in your life that will tell you yes, people that will tell you no, people that will say, go back to the scriptures and, and read this again and, and think about if this is really what you want to say. And it's important because we started at the top of the program talking about this. We're not saying that Christian celebra- celebrities can't be good ambassadors of Jesus. We have a case right here where John, I think, is a good ambassador of Jesus because he studied to show himself approved. He's He's been interested in knowing why Christianity is true and what it means. We're talking about people who just claim to be Christians, but they're only an inch deep. We shouldn't just be blindly follow, following them. In fact, John, I came across your stuff probably really two years ago. I can't remember who left the faith. Maybe it was Rhett and Link. Am I thinking properly or was no, it? I think the, it was uh, Marty Sampson and okay. Joshua Harris. Joshua Harris. So you had a Facebook post, which I thought was excellent, when you were talking about, I, I seem to remember you saying something like, these people have said to be Christians for many years and now suddenly they say they're not. You said, how about a little humility? Like, why don't you just stop trying to lead people now? You've been misleading them, at least you think you have for so many years, thinking now, oh, I was wrong for so long being a Christian. And now you're suddenly, you, you, you think the light bulb has turned on and now you want to lead them in another direction. How about a little humility? How about trying to figure yeah. out what really is true before you start saying, uh, oh, now I know the truth. What people seem to forget, John, is when they deconstruct one worldview, they are automatically reconstructing another. And that other worldview may or may not be true. You, well, it's not true if, if it opposes Christianity, but people don't seem to realize that. So why did you get all, um, uh, why do you emphasize that that deconstruction so much? What, what, what really caused you to say, I need to say something here, man. This is ridiculous. <laughs> well, it, it started for two things. One, of course, was the Lord, and the other was the Lord through my wife. Okay. <laughs> Which is usually usually how uh-huh. I know God is speaking to me because my wife says, 
you're supposed to do this. I said, yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, 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 will, I will take this back to 2012, 2013, when I began first noticing a lot of Christian pastors, preachers, think pieces coming out. And I was reading them. I'd been a Christian by this point for, since I was five years old. I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I'm reading these think pieces going, this doesn't sound right to me. I, I, what are they talking about? And I began asking questions. And so basically that led me into about a three to four year time period from 2013 to 16, 17, where I was just consuming books. I read theology, um, apologetics, philosophy, uh, atheist philosophers as well. I wanted to know where is this coming from? Mm -hmm. Marx, you know, Karl Marx and Nietzsche. And I'm trying to understand the bottom root of all these things. Once I finally figured it out, 2016, I finished reading a fantastic book called White Guilt by uh, Shelby Steele. Yes. Um, and, which was an amazing book. I ended the book and I looked at my, I was in bed. I looked at my wife. I turned around, I looked at her. I said, I figured it out. <laughs> I can't believe it took me. I can't believe it took me three years. I figured out what's going on. Uh-huh. We live in a postmodern society and postmodernism is coming into the church. I didn't even know that would be a possibility. And when postmodern comes into the church, well, then everybody can have their own interpretation of what the Bible mm-hmm. says. It's all about the way I feel. Basically, we want to be our own gods. And so I told my wife, this is what's going on. I know God wants me to speak about this at some point, but I don't know how, and I don't know what to do. And so for about two years, something would happen, and, and my wife would be like, John, you need to write something. And I would say, I'm not the guy. And this went on for two years. And so after Joshua Harris and Marty Sampson left the faith, I was so mad. I said, how come these people, they leave the faith and then they start up a brand new platform where they're sharing all their new truth? Mm. And where's the humility? And my wife said, John, you need to write something. And I said, nobody cares. I'm a rock star. Nobody cares what I have to say. John, you need to write something. And so I said, I'll write it, but I'm not going to publish it because nobody's going to care. I'm a moron. Nobody cares what I have to say. And I wrote it and I read it to my wife. And, and she, she said, some of the grammar is bad. But I don't even care. Don't change a word. Post it. <laughs> she loved it so much. So I think that that was the biggest, most obvious thing to me. I think it's one of the reasons that every, it, it went so viral. I think everybody read it and said, yeah, uh, that's exactly how I feel. How can, mm-hmm. you, how can you teach the Word of God for 20 years and now not only say you disbelieve it, you apologize for the harm you did while preaching the Word of God, which insinuates that God is— mean. God Mm -hmm. is not nice that now, you know, now I'm more moral than God and I'm sorry for how mean he seems. Mm -hmm. And then you apologize. And then you say, what I've learned now is that life is about forgiveness. It's about loving people. It's about this. And you're like, it's about approving them no matter what they want to do. Yeah. We don't need to know what you think. Now you've discredited yourself. Mm -hmm. Go away to the Hills for a few years and be quiet. Why don't you have any humility? And I think that that's why it resonated with people. Well, it did. And they're assuming a moral standard when they claim God is somehow immoral. That's a whole nother topic we could talk about. But John, you nailed it. And uh, also, John, I got to say this, that that song Hero, fabulous song. My son and I just wrote a book called Hollywood Heroes, How Your Favorite Movies Reveal God. It's coming out in about a month. And that song, we just got a minute left. How did that song come to you? And who is it really about? 
Well, the song, of course, is, is about Jesus, but it came about. There's a funny story. My kids were young when I wrote, my daughter's 19. I wrote that song in 2009, so that gives you an idea how old she was. We were in Target. And we were in the checkout line, and I saw a magazine, and it had the, you know, so and so with the swimsuit body, and the girl on the cover saying it's really great. And I remember being really annoyed, thinking, "What kind of world are my kids going to grow up in?" My daughter has no heroes, no heroes to look up to, because these Hollywood people are, have lost the plot. And I just felt that little voice inside my head say, "You're supposed to be the hero when you imitate Christ." You are imitating the hero. He is the light of the world, and we are a reflection of his light. So we become the light of the world. That's the short version of what hero is, which takes us back to how you started this whole thing. God wants me and you to be ambassadors for Jesus Christ. Couldn't be said better. JohnLCooper.com. Check it out. JohnLCooper.com. John, John, don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you a little bit more. We'll have this on special content. We've got a new thing at Cross-Examine, the Cross-Examine community behind a paywall so you won't get censored. We'll talk more about that in a future show, but John, it's been great having you on. Ladies and gentlemen, we'll see you here next week. God bless.